the diamond I The Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These are size 10 thick black workman's boots. They'd go up above your ankle and look like they'd keep your feet away from any sort of danger. They have steel toe caps and they have one, two, three, four, five, six lace holes going up the boot and a really squidgy thick tongue of the shoe. They have thick soles as well, like black rubber. These shoes belong to Ryan Parry. This is his story. So I'd like Good evening, Red Base. This is Foxtrot 230. The way that is drive is not like anywhere else in the world. Massive gash on back of head, query cause, query intoxicated, no indication of any assault. You ask any Australian here, if we drove the way we drive here, we did that back home, we would lose our licences. So I was pressing imaginary brake pedals a lot for the first month I was here. Contrary to popular belief, we don't like to use the siren until we have to, which might happen in a second. Oh, foot pedal doesn't work. Pedal doesn't work. Righto. The deep end. I arrived and I was thrown into the deep end. I, I, I started the job pretty quickly when I got here. Up until then, I'd never lived or worked outside of Melbourne. So Dom, apparently it's full moon tonight. Oh, good. Yeah. And I got off the plane and it was snowing, so that was my first impression of London. There I am in my, in my thongs and my shorts and my t-shirt and I'm absolutely freezing. So if you follow this road around, it will be on our left. My name is Ryan Parry. I'm a paramedic with the London Ambulance Service. I'm originally from Melbourne, Australia. I've been living in London for about a year and a half now. Oh, there you go. There's Andy and our patient. such a different way of operating to how we worked back home. There was the different equipment, I went to put some things together and I was just thinking, geez, what am I doing here? Like this, how does this work? How does that happen? And coming from uh, where I was quite well established, you know all your equipment, you've been using it for a year and a half, you get very comfortable with it. And now everything was alien to me. It was almost worse than being new because I had established routines, I had habits. William? William? William, look at me. This is William. Yeah. He has said to me he's had some drink. Today. It was only a couple of days in, I was thinking, what have I done? Like, I, you know, I had given up a much, much, much higher paying job, a job with much better leave, a job where I do half the work and, uh, you know, it's a cheaper city to live in, to come here, be overworked, underpaid. I was, I, what have I done with myself? Um, he had the cut, and the, the reason there's actually some stereo strips is he actually fell a couple of days ago. Okay. He's had it cleaned up and he's obviously had an afford I first saw London Ambulance Service recruiting for paramedics on Facebook. An advertisement came up and I thought, I'm going to have to do this. Fear of missing out, that's the biggest problem with, you know, Generation Y. If I don't go in a year's time and we see a bunch of Aussies that went over and had the time of their life and did these great things, I thought, no, I'm going to have to do this. William? William, you know you've got a massive cut to the back of your head. 
there's a lot of people here, and it's so busy here, but you cannot let that make you think it's not an isolating city. There are so many very lonely and isolated people here, um, people that we see. William, this wound on your head is going to get infected unless it gets cleaned and a dressing's put on it, okay? At times, it's just nothing medical. It's somebody that just can't cope, you know? A lot of our work, un uh, unorthodox as it may be, is trying to be a problem fixer of any kind. You need to be looked after in some way. If you have a place where you're going to after this, we can take you there. Do you have a friend's house you'd like to go to? There are things that my crewmate Dom and I have done. We have gone completely outside the call of duty. We have worked overtime doing a social, fixing a social issue that no one will know, no one will understand, but you have to be happy with the job you do. You know, and, you, and I think that is an easy way to make it everything a bit more bearable. You have to be proud of yourself. There's, there's just two very general, general directions to go in. Yeah. That's not, not a specific address. We can't just type down the road into our, into our maps, can we? My first clinical instructor said, "This job's too serious to be taken seriously." I was trying to find out if you lived somewhere or not. All right, if someone can take care of you. Can I get a couple of the wipes, mate? Making it difficult, mate. We're all pretty dark and sinister people. We have a lot of laughs. You know, it takes about six to nine months to really start to find your groove and start to laugh at things because you see. You see people when they're the most in their most pain, you know, you see people in the worst day of their lives. William? William, do you wanna, can I wipe your nose, mate? You're a bit you're a bit runny there. Mate, alright, let's go there you go. There you go, mate, you're right. Looks like he's been in the mud for a while. Yeah, I mean they said they they actually Sometimes it's it's really bad in this job, but if you rely on the good outweighing the bad, because that's not gonna happen. That's not going to happen. And if you rely on that, you're not going to do well, you know. And there's, there was a study released about three weeks ago. It was saying how paramedics have a higher chance of getting post-traumatic stress disorder than soldiers returning from Afghanistan. In Victoria, the suicide rate for paramedics is 20 times higher than the average. It's the highest in the country. So there is, there is a lot of stress involved in the job. William? We have Dom, as he doesn't have capacity, and we're just gonna be bringing him kicking and screaming. And he's just gonna get discharged from here. It's just I'd rather drop him off somewhere where he's, you know, in a mild place of safety of some kind, than nothing at all. Um, do you reckon we could try getting? I was working back home, probably about my eighth or ninth month on the job, and we got called to a cardiac arrest. We were so close to it. We're thinking, great, if this has just happened, we have a really good shot. And, you know, we got there and the wife was outside hysterical. This is at midnight, you know, so she's in her dressing gown. And we go into the house. It's a very small, cramped house. We turned on the light, went in, and this guy is pale and he's, he's dead. And this guy was probably in about his, you know, late 30s. And he had a shockable rhythm, so straight away put the pads on, our defibrillation pads. Shocked the patient. And then you've got to start CPR. But... He was on a very bad futon. It's like trying to push the patient into just like a ball pit. You're not going to be effective. And there was something weird about this house. There were just stacks of books everywhere. Just everywhere. And there was no room to walk around at all. This place was small enough as it is. And we're thinking, alright, do we kick the mattress up onto the side and just do it here? We're thinking, no, there's not enough room. We ended up kicking over books to try and make room and realised we were making it worse because there were just these books everywhere now. And 
we sort of got him into the living room and getting ready to try and get started start of resuscitation properly and opened up this door and I saw two young boys asleep in bed and maybe at five years old and seven years old and I really wish I didn't know that because I got so personally invested in this case. We worked for a very, very long time, for a very long time. We really only had to do 30 minutes worth to call it. My crewmate could see I was personally invested in it and he just wanted, probably for me, you know, long story short, we didn't get him back. And, um, yeah, I... You know, sometimes you think, like, their life has been turned upside down. Hmm. And, you know, I know him, I know medically, like, you know, there's nothing I could really do, but sometimes you just wonder when it's your, your, your choices that you're making. And you think, maybe if I did that differently, you know, maybe we kick the mattress up and, and even, even though I couldn't do anything else, I just did tiny bits of CPR while I was straddling him. Maybe he just could have been shockable for a bit longer, you know, maybe, you know. You know, in terms of outlets, for me, sport is a big one. Blaring your lungs out to a song on the way home, even if you've had a sad day and it's a sad song, you know. Just, you know, screaming along to a song will make you feel happy again, you know. At one point in my first six-month period, I had, had no sleep because of where I was living, there was just so much noise. I couldn't sleep between my night shifts. I had finished late every single shift. When you are leaving work and you do the maths and you go, I have to be at work in seven hours' time counting on your fingers how much sleep you might get. 2151. Uh, yep. And I did the maths of how much money would I have to repay if I left right now. My first month's rent, they paid for my airfares, they put us up in a hotel for the first three weeks. The digits were getting into the five digits I'd have to repay and I was on the fence of actually doing it. We were working that hard. You get to stay on that comfortable bed and we're gonna take you in, all right? Take you in to get that head checked out. I think I would miss it. I think I will miss the craziness. You hate it when you're doing it, but going back to a service back home where I will have less responsibility, there will be always units when I need it, Everything is always well stocked and well kept, you know, coming from, you know, working where everything's either broken down or maybe missing. You know, there's something even more special to that as well. Dr. John Kibogi, can ring CDU please? Dr. John Kibogi, can you ring CDU please? So we've managed to somehow magically convince him to come to Ealing. We're wheeling him in now and I'm over the moon that we have convinced him to stay here and come in with us. This is... It's a work of art, really. There's no other way to describe it. It's a very special job. It's a really special job. You know, it's a front seat on mankind. You get to witness what, what goes on in the world. You know, you're on the inside of a very special group of people. Sorry? Trolley nine. nine? Perfect. It's a paramedic. You're, you're completely altruistic. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you're going to do. My one aim is to preserve life. We have a trolley for you. We've got everything here ready to go okay, for you. Yeah, it's got eight hours to go, so the night is young. Good man. Yeah. Ryan's story was produced by Rose Delarabite.
His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.